A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. You're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. Welcome to episode 68. My name is Kevin Garcia, and once again, as per usual, I am stoked you are here. Every time you show up, it's always a surprise. (laughs) Surprise, a delight, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. Has anyone told you that today? If not, here's your reminder. You're amazing. Okay. How's it going? Are you doing well? Good. I really wanted to know. I want to tell you what I've done with my week because I'm actually pretty proud of it. Um, I'm getting ready to, ready to register for classes at Columbia Theological where I'm starting. Uh, I went to yoga twice already this week and it's only Tuesday at the time I'm recording this uh, front end of the podcast. Um, I'm doing laundry right now. Um, I've been cooking more for myself and eating out less, which is cool. I went to therapy. You know, I'm just really living my best life. I booked a flight to Austin because I can, and I'm very excited to go hang out with my friends down there. I've never been to Austin, Texas. Um, I am currently in the process of booking a speaking gig in Lynchburg, Virginia in October. So there's that. Additionally, I'm also, uh, this. I guess this is an announcement, I'm going to be on a panel at the Reformation Project Orlando about um, intersectional identities. So if you haven't registered for Reformation Project or have never been to one, honey, this is the one to be at. So go to Reformation Project org slash Orlando and get registered today. Now, as you know, I'm someone who's super passionate about mental health and getting therapy, getting on meds, doing whatever it takes to improve your life. I did an entire video actually on my YouTube channel where I chronicled my first month on meds. So if that interests you, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe, check it out, share it with your friends. Um, and uh, today, uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is today I'm actually talking with one of my friends who is a therapist, an amazing woman and new friend to me, Cassie McCarty-Green. Cassie McCarty-Green is a professional counselor who specializes in work with the LGBTQ plus population and she works with the Christian Closet, which is Candace Zubernight's um, therapy practice. It's an online therapy platform creating space for queer Christians to find mental health services tailored just to them. Cassie received her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from Troy University in Troy, Alabama in 2012. She earned her Master's in Professional Counseling and Marriage and Family Therapy, that is a mouthful, from Johnson University in 2014. Cassie began her career as a therapist in Kingston, Tennessee, in a psychiatric residential facility to high-risk traumatized adolescents. Cassie grew up in a conservative evangelical home, classic and it was actively involved with her church her entire life. She did not begin actively wrestling with her sexuality until she entered her undergraduate studies, um, and wrestling kind of looked like unhealthy friendships, occasional bouts of like disregard for her actual beliefs, and repressing her authentic self. Thankfully, when she began graduate school, she found an affirming therapist who directed her to resources and walked her through the process of coming out. Cassie studied affirming and non-affirming interpretations of the Bible for two years while completing her graduate studies, and now believes that God celebrates and deeply loves LGBTQ persons and rejoices in same-sex LGBT relationships. Cassie also specialized in working with folks journeying through exploring non-monogamy via individual sessions, couples counseling, and group services. Cassie and her wife, Lauren Green, spend their time advocating for LGBTQ persons within the church, hiking with their dog, traveling, drinking coffee, and playing Scrabble. She is also, by the way, accepting new patients right now, so if you want to get in touch with her, the information is going to be in our little description box, or what's it called? The show notes. That's what it's called. The show notes. 
that's how you can get in touch with Cassie. But anyways, I love this conversation with her. It was frank. It was lovely hearing more about her background and who she is. Um, yeah, so uh, sit back, relax, grab yourself a LaCroix. Um, I'm drinking orange LaCroix right now myself. And enjoy this conversation with my friend Cassie McCarty-Green. What's your thing? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, typically getting up to make my wife coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God, do you want to be my wife? Because I need that shit. <laughs> well, I work from home. Um, and so part of like our deal has been if I can just get up with enough motivation to make her coffee, then that'll get my day started. Mm, um, it's so, so sacrificial. It really is because sleep is very important. Um, but aside from making coffee, um, I am a professional counselor. Um, I have been working exclusively with LGBT people probably for about four years now. Wow. Um, yeah, living in Knoxville, Tennessee, at least currently, um, I was working in a community mental health setting and there is a major need for services for LGBT people, especially being in the South. Yeah. Um, and so that has been my goal and my dream. Um, and it's, um, Lauren, my wife, she's also a therapist. And so that's been a dream that we have dreamed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I I left my job back in February in the community mental health setting. And I, I had one of those moments where I think, you know, maybe God is more real and more present than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, because two days after I left my job, Candice uh, Zubernot, who runs the Christian Closet, reached out to me, and it was the first time that we'd ever connected, um, aside from five minutes at the TRP conference in <laughs> Chicago. Right. Um, and she was just like, hey, do you want to join my practice? Um, and that's, it, it outlines what the perfect job is for me. I get to work with LGBT people of faith every day now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, um, especially important and has just been one of my dreams and goals is to be able to advocate and be present for LGBT people of faith. Um, I identify as lesbian or queer depending on the day. Yeah. Um, same. <laughs> well, like you're like gay or queer or whatever, depending on the day. Sometimes yeah. I feel like a lesbian, though. You know what I'm saying? I support it. It's <laughs> it's fun. Um, and so I've, um, weirdly enough, found more freedom in the label of queer lately. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, it feels more all-encompassing for me. Um, and so, yeah, being able to sit in that has been nice. Um, I have kind of created myself as like the token lesbian in any setting that I've been in. <laughs> um, 
And so, which I've been really lucky that all of my workspaces have been very queer friendly, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the benefit of working in mental health is people tend to be a little bit more friendly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the hope. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I think that that's just been who I presented myself as like, Oh, Cassie, the lesbian, like Cassie's who we go to with all of our queer questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so did, like, did you grow up in, I, I mean, like a lot of us, did you grow up in like a Christian environment and had like a, you know, a time coming out in the church or was it like, what's your story with that? If I can ask. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in a very conservative evangelical home. Um, Classic. So, I know. <laughs> um, my my dad's actually a Southern Baptist minister, and usually when I tell people that, I get the "oh, okay" response. Yeah. Um, and so that has been a source of really extreme pain and loss for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and that's something that has made me a better counselor. Um, I found a really good counselor to help me process that grief, which is how I'm like here and helping today. Um, The coming out process was very painful. Um, I expected it to be bad, but not quite as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there was a time when, I mean, I didn't speak to my family for nearly a year. Mm. Um, And, you know, things like, I don't know if I can tell you I love you anymore, or maybe it would be easier if you were just dead. Things like that, that you never hope to hear from your parents. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's, I think one of the most shocking things to me in doing what I do is how often I hear stories like that. Yeah. And it's, it never gets easy, but I feel like it, it pushes me to continue to do the work. Um, and it, it makes, it, it just feels it's extra special to me when I can work with people on a professional level or even on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And at least on some, in some ways be able to say, I get it. Yeah. Uh, seriously. Yeah. So yeah, pretty, pretty classic um, growing up evangelical story there. Like it's, it's just like, it's so sucky. Like I, I hate that this, this story that like you and I both tell is like one of the least common stories among LGBTQ Christians where grew up in a religious setting, families not understanding. And then from there, like we have to pick up the pieces of a life that we never, that we didn't break, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I think what like coming out for for me like in a religious setting like I I kind of had two coming out stories because I came out to my parents in high school and then I got put into reparative therapy and then I uh, twelve years later when I realized that none of this was really working I came out again um, yeah but like I did so like on my own terms like with my own money and things like that and thankfully yeah. like my my mother was really has been a really yeah, you know she's getting there like you know i wouldn't say that she's like a full-blown ally but like she's met my partners before so it's not been the most scary okay. thing so 
I'm lucky in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, there's something healing to hear other stories where yeah. that, that hasn't been someone's experience. Um, like to hear of people whose parents are working and whose parents are trying. Because um, that's, that's not been my story. My parents don't have the tools to get there or the desire to get there, honestly. Mm. It um, comes I've, a lot from desire, doesn't it? Like, you yeah. actually have to want to do the work. You have to want to love your child enough to yeah. like try and change your perspective or at least understand a different perspective. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, you know, there's um, so part of my healing process has, has been coming to this, what we as counselors would call radical acceptance. Mm. Um, of just like, I can't change this right now. And I'm going to learn to live with this grief and to set boundaries in a way that's healthy for me. Um, and that's easy to say, but God, that's hard work. (laughs) And sometimes I just, I'm just like, I'm tired today. I can't, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, it's hard. Yeah. So can I ask you about that boundaries in particular? Um, cause I think that's a question I get a lot from people who like contact me through my work about like, I have a family that's non-affirming. We're still talking, but like, I don't know how to have, I don't know how to draw the lines. I don't know how to create these boundaries for myself. Like for you, what did boundary making look like? Yeah, I, I drew a lot from Brene Brown. So let me give credit where credit's due. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that stuck with me about how she teaches about boundaries is I came up with a script for myself that I still have in a note on my phone. Um, And when I started to recognize in myself like anxiety or just like unhealthiness or this conversation is going to be toxic for me, Mm. um, the boundary that I started for myself first was this conversation is not going to be productive. I'm not in a place to where I can listen to you. So I'm going to have to end this conversation. I love you. We'll talk later. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not always respected, but. um, But at least putting it out there is like a brave first step. Yes. Yes. Um, So I think part of the boundary setting process is, knowing for yourself when does an interaction or a conversation um, become for you. Like if you're feeling really depressed or really anxious or um, like having panic attacks during conversations, you're allowed to take a break. Um, And that for me, having a therapist tell me, Cassie, you're allowed to take a break. You're allowed to not answer the phone call. Um, was very empowering for me, knowing I get to set my own boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not going to be respected, I'm not going to owe them. Like they don't, they haven't earned my time. Mm-hmm. Which is um, so hard too, because especially with like family, it's like it's there. A lot of times, there feels, at least for me, it's felt like because they're my family, I have to do this. I have to engage in these ways. I have to put myself through hell sometimes because uh, they're my family and I love them. Yeah. And so there's, there comes the moment when, and this is something I I wanted to ask you too, like that came up. Um, 
the difference between like uh like a toxic situation and just an uncomfortable situation um Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times um and I guess it maybe it varies from person to person. I'm somebody who I can ha- I can handle really uncomfortable situations really really well, and I can deal yeah. with, uh, you know, family members not being the greatest examples of Christ shining Christ shining love. But like that's not the, that's not true for everyone. There's like, um. So what would you say like where like where does the line between uncomfortable and toxic happen? Um, or maybe you can just say for you where does that happen? Uh yeah, I mean my my first thought was it depends on who you ask. So for, mm-hmm. for me, um, I was able to identify like specific topics, um, that would come up when talking to family members. And mm-hmm. I recognized I'm not going to be heard. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what I say. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that for me is toxic. Um, and like, for me, uncomfortable situations, um, when I talk to people in authority, specifically like spiritual leaders who disagree with me, that's very uncomfortable. Um, I, I do it on a regular basis because I don't know, I guess I, I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> same girl, same. Um, and and so that's very uncomfortable. But I meet with people on a regular basis who I know will at least hear me. Um, so that's very uncomfortable. It becomes toxic when I am attacked or expected to think how they think. Mm. Um, it becomes toxic when... I know I'm just going to be berated or when scripture is going to be weaponized against me, mm-hmm. those situations for me are toxic. That resonates a lot with me. And I think there is that difference between like people who want to have everyone like, you know, like they want to like bring you in for coffee or like <laughs> they want to sit down to have that talk with you. But like, there is a big difference between people who actually want to have a conversation and just want to talk at you. Yes. Uh, because I am always willing to sit down with people, share my story, have a conversation about stuff, but it's very rare that I'm actually heard. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's something for us as queer Christians to watch out for is that person who isn't actually looking to listen but they're looking to talk at you or preach at you or convert you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that has to do with like, uh, you know, the kind of relationship we have with one person or another. And, yes. you know, cause like, you know, religious leaders, pastors, they love having coffee with people to tell them about their sins. <laughs> um, family members, it might be different at least for, yeah. in, again, again, it's person to person, family to family. Which right. is like, which is why, like, when people ask advice, like, I'm just like, I don't know, I can't really, I don't know you or your context or your family, so it's really hard for me to give specific advice. Um, yeah, but it's it's tough. It's so yeah. tough. Um, yeah. Working with, um, so you've been, you said you've been working with exclusively queer folks for how long now? About four years professionally. Yeah. What, what's been um, some of like the, the growth points that you've seen in people who have started therapy? Like, like 
who were they and when they started and like what are the growth you saw after they'd been in therapy and working with you for a while? Yeah, I think the first thing I notice is the relief of being in a space to where you don't have to defend yourself. Mm. Um, you were just accepted as you are. Um, there's a safety in being able to to have someone say, you get to make your goals and you get to decide what growth you want. Tell me what you want to do. Um, and so using the the growth and the pain and the grief that people bring and allowing them and empowering them to say, like, you get to decide what your story is <laughs> moving forward. Um, and so many people aren't in spaces where they get to decide their own story. Um, and so I think that like in my work, a lot of times it's just walking with people through, through grief and through change and through transition, um, and being able to work with a professional who is queer and who gets it, um, has been the thing that people have commented most on to yeah. me. Like, it's so nice to know that on some level you get it. Um, mm. And so I think just creating that empowered space for people is, for me, a, a great gift that I get to give to people. Um, and because, you know, some people come to me just starting the journey and saying, I don't know where to start. Tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other people have lovely relationships with their families, but have a harder time with like, I don't really know what I think. And that not knowing really scares me. Um, yeah, I relate to that. So hardcore. Yeah. yeah. And then there's just so much complexity and so many layers, um, you know, I, I always get the picture. I tend to think in metaphors, um, I talk about intersections a lot and you've got um, LGBT and Christian um, and then it can just go from there. Like when I'm working with like people of color or people who have grown up missionary kids. So you don't really belong in a culture. At least you don't feel like you do. Um, right. And so I feel like it's like trying to navigate like spaghetti junction where there's all of these intersections and on ramps and off ramps and it all kind of looks the same and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, and I think that a lot of times the work of therapy is just like, not always, but sometimes just creating this map to understand and to yeah. empower people to navigate all of these different layers. Yeah, that is a great metaphor. And I think, I think that's what good therapy does is kind of like map out our mental landscape because for so many of us, like we've spent years with like so many thoughts, ideas, fears, anxieties, and they're all jumbled up. And when we're working through our therapeutic practices or just like going to therapy ourselves, uh, it's a matter of like, I, I remember like my first few, my first few, uh, sessions with my first therapist was just like an emotional vomit session where I just yeah. get all of these things out there on the table. And then the subsequent weeks are like, okay, we're going to sort through this now mm -hmm. and figure out 
what's real, you know, what's perceived and how we can, like you said, like make a map to move forward. Um, yeah. And I think that's like, it is like, and I think it's, a therapist is not somebody who like can fix somebody's problem. Like it's still work on the part of the individual to like, after you walk out that door with your roadmap or mm-hmm. your plan, you still have to execute it, you know? Yes. I feel, I feel like some people will look at like, I'm going to go to a therapist and they're going to fix me. I'm just like, no, a therapist just tells, like gives you the instructions on how to fix yourself in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And you know, it's interesting that, um, <clears throat> I have more people who I'm working with um, who are in the LGBT community who don't look for me to be like the expert with all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's been surprising to me that so many people are willing to, um, it's almost like joining on a journey with someone. Um, because, you know, I, I tell everybody who I'm working with, you are the expert on you. I can't, I can't do that for you, but I can do my best to help you make sense of some of it and give you some new tools to help navigate it. Um, and so I almost just feel kind of like a co-pilot on this journey with people, um, Mm -hmm. and helping them make sense of what they're looking at. Yeah. That's half the battles, like trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. And even at the end of it though, like, I feel like there's, there was a time in my life where like I was really asking the question of why, like why God did you, why, why did you make me gay God? You know, why would you do this to me? And then coming to the end of it and realizing that like, maybe there isn't a why, maybe there just, it is like, Mm. because like my question is like, even if you found out why, like, you know, is that going (laughs) to change anything? And is that really going to impact your day to day? Um, (laughs) It feels like this, like, measure of control. And I think something interesting, I think maybe this is, like, uh, a note about, like, queer resilience is that, like, you know, we've had to survive so much. Like, I feel like we're a lot better equipped to handle questions without answers. And, yes. like, a lot of big unknowns in a way that maybe other folks are, are not quite as comfortable with handling. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've, I've, that's been my experience, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So for someone who has like not been, has not taken a step toward therapy yet, they think that like it's, um, I don't know, hokey or they don't see why it's like people, there's still like this big fat stigma around talking about our mental health issues, um, yeah. asking for help, pursuing things like therapy and medication as a way to, you know, work through our shit and become better people. Why do you think there's still a stigma? Like, even though it's like becoming more of a cultural conversation. Um, I think some of it, if I think of like the meta issue, some of it is born out of this individualistic society. Hmm. Um, do it on your own. Don't ask for help. Just take yeah, this care feeling of, it. of I should be able to handle this on my own. Yes. Um, And so that's part of it. There's also, I think, the societal belief that mental health is not a real health issue. Right. Um, You know, if I have pneumonia, there's not a question like I'm going to go to the doctor so Mm -hmm. I can be well. Um, And I think there's this pattern of minimizing mental health. Mm. Um. 
and and that's hard to when that's the stigma around it is it's not a real health issue just mm. deal with it um or in christian circles just pray about it like just pray I, about the, just press into the joy of the lord yes she's joy oh my god i drive by this um church sign i i kayak on a pretty regular basis or i'm trying to make that pattern but that's cool um i I passed by this church sign that was like seven reasons we're all so anxious. And it's just this sermon series that this church is doing. And I roll my eyes so hard every time I see it. And I'm also like, want to go listen a little bit. Like maybe they've got it figured out. They don't. <laughs> I promise you they don't. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe they did. They've got the answer. That's why evangelicalism is so sexy because they give you the clear cut answers. And yes. ways to manage your sin and ways to fix it. Uh huh. That are it's clear cut a- and fit and work for everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's black and white, and then you step into this queer space that is this like rainbow of gray. So I'm going to let you deal with the, that for a minute. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a mess, and I think that there's just a lack of education about mental health um and you know i think that one thing that i share with people when they're unsure about therapy um is there is a uh, research study that was done and it did a pet scan on people's brains before starting talk therapy and then it did another pet scan eight weeks after talk therapy and there are scannable brain changes Hmm. um you will see an increase in the size of your frontal lobe so the problem solving um like i'm gonna get through this and try and be logical in this you see an increase in that and you see a decrease in the size of the emotion center of your brain um and that to me sold me on mm-hmm. therapy like okay this is actually this is something that there are going to be changes if you engage with the process right um and i think like look there are brain scans for everything you look at the how your brain changes when you undergo like chronic minority stress um and then like you can scan a brain and see depression. You can scan a brain and see anxiety. Um, and so to me, when I can show people those scans, like you are not crazy. Like here's what's happening in your brain. And yeah. here are things that you can do just by changing your day-to-day practice that will cause your brain to physically change. Mm-hmm. Um, that is mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Um just like you're actually doing things. There are things happening in your head um, and there, are, and you have power to, to change that. And sometimes that means medication and sometimes that means therapy. And sometimes that means both. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. it's like understanding the brain science that like affects our every single day has been so life changing for me. And also has helped me like kind of destigmatize my own mental health stuff. Cause like, I remember when I was first like asking my therapist about like getting on medication and like getting a referral to, for a psychiatrist. Um, I felt like a little bit ashamed 
when I was like mm-hmm. asking for it because I was thinking, I'm just like, well, I'm in therapy. I'm doing the right thing. I should be able to make it through. I should be able to handle this. And um, it got to a point where my partner at the time, just like, I was so tired all the time. And like, and I would say, I was like, I don't understand why I'm so tired. Like I'm going to sleep, sleeping eight hours a day and eating correctly. He's like, he said, maybe your body is just depressed and you might need some help. And it's like, it's not that there's anything wrong with me. It's just that like my brain chemistry works a little differently. And so like the way Candace has put it before in one of her talks is like, medication isn't a magic pill or a fix all, but it does help put you on the same starting line as everybody else. Yes. And that was like a revolutionary. And that's the reason I actually started, like that's when I started like to get medication because of that metaphor is like, it's not going to fix you. It's not going to change you. It's going to put you on the same place that you can actually do the work that you're talking about in therapy. Yes. And for so many of us, it's, it's, it's a, it's a game changer. Like I, I didn't know it was possible to be awake and not drink eight cups of coffee a day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And then when I stop drinking as much coffee, my anxiety has gone down because I'm not like overdosing on caffeine every day. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. That I had a very similar experience. Um, I, I try and be very open about, I mean, obviously like, carefully and not oversharing, but open about my own mental health experiences. Um, and I grew up, um, believing like I am just an impulsive person. And sometimes I do things and I don't think, or I really struggle to get things done, but that's just who I am. And, um, and then like, I realized oh, like this isn't a character flaw. My brain works differently and I can take a medication to treat ADD and oh my God, I can sit and get things done now. Um, or like I, um, I currently take medication to help treat anxiety and I've experienced the same thing to where that got me to a point to all of these skills that my therapist has taught me. I feel like I can actually use them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a subtle enough change um, that as it's happening, it's like, I don't feel that different. But then I go back, you know, to before I was taking that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh my God, like I was having panic attacks and I wasn't calling them that. And I'm helping people navigate through this and just like blind to my own stuff. Mm. Um, And so a lot of times mental health issues, like you were saying, I guess I'm just really tired all the time or I'm, I'm just this way. Um, And people don't believe that they can be healthier. Um, Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you don't know how good you it's not, not, you don't realize how good things can be until like you like step out or else like you don't know how bad things were or like how struggle, how much the struggle was infecting your life until mm-hmm. you step out of that. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, like I can get things done in one sitting or, you know, I don't have to be impulsive or like, I don't have to, you know, I can get out of bed today. Like that's a thing. Yeah. Like being able to get out of bed is like a triumph for so many people. And like to have help mm-hmm. to actually do that, like that's, it's, it's life changing. Yes, very much so. 
Um, and you know, it's, there's going to be different levels for everybody. And for some people talk therapy is enough. And for some people talk therapy with medication is enough. And then, you know, that's, you can go as far to like, you're probably going to need really intensive support for the rest of your life. I mean, the same thing with any kind of like medical issue. Um, but I think that sometimes we get in this habit of owning things that we don't have to own as part of our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's also really interesting too, is like the majority of my friends like have been in therapy before for a short stint of time. And then they deal with whatever like issue is right in front of them. And then they kind of just like walk away from therapy. They're just like, Oh no, I'm good now. Oh no, I'm good now. And then like, you know, two months later when their life is back in shambles or like, or maybe they went to therapy for years and then they cut it down and didn't see the therapist as often. But then when like tragedy strikes or a really hard thing happens in their life, they don't even in at least what I've observed is they don't even think to like hit up their therapist again or like think about getting back into therapy, even just to deal with those things because they, it's thinks that same idea of just like, we fall back into the pattern of, I should be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, or they feel like going back to therapy is somehow a shameful or like a failure on their part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think therapy functions differently for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I run like a crazy person to these metaphors of medical issues. I mean, it would be like, you know, if I'm in a terrible car accident, then I'm going to go to the emergency room and I'm going to get taken care of. And maybe that'll be physical therapy. And then when things are like, once I get back to square one, then maybe I stop doing those things. Um, And sometimes therapy is like this terrible thing happened and I really need some help navigating through it. Um, That is most often what pushes people into therapy. Um, But therapy can also be like, oh my God, I'm, 30 pounds overweight and it's not going to kill me or anything, but I need to be healthier and go to the gym and like develop healthier patterns. Um, and I think sometimes people are hesitant to do that kind of therapy. Like there's this unhealthy pattern in my life where I want to dig a little bit deeper and there's not a big crisis right now, but I still think that I could be healthier and there's grief to work through and these things that I just maybe don't like or need help understanding. And that's the kind of therapy that, to me creates long-term impactful change for people. It's so good. Ugh. I love that. And also like your therapy practice with uh, the Christian closet is different than other therapy practices because y'all do everything exclusively online, right? Correct. Correct. Um, Yeah. I've been really surprised at um, how much I enjoy it. Yeah, I can work with people from all over the world. Um, and, you know, the doing things online, like, you know, we use online video chat so I can see people's faces. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not impacted the work that I do, which I was honestly really surprised about. Um, you know, I tell people I miss at the end of a really hard session, being able to like touch someone on the shoulder and be like, you're doing good job. Like, keep it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss that. Um, but otherwise I've been really thrilled at, at how much it feels the same. 
Yeah. Yeah, because that's that was always my wonder um, about it. Like, does it, like how different does it feel like being in an actual therapist office versus being on Skype or something like that? And so that, but that's also like what I've heard from my other friends who've tried other forms of online therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think what's dope about that is now because of online therapy, it's like a it's more affordable, and b it's um. Like, you can't say, I don't have time to go to therapy because you literally can, like, fit it into whenever and wherever you are. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, And, you know, like, I have have people who meet with me from their bed in their pajamas and other people who, you know, I've got 50 minutes on my lunch break and they eat in their car and we do a therapy session. Um, Or, I mean, just, you can do it anywhere. Um, and you know, for people, especially if you're having a lot of like depression, anxiety issues, getting up and going somewhere, like you said, is a victory. And so Mm -hmm. you can just do it from home. And there's a, hopefully the hope is, is that there's a safety in that. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. So what else, what else about you? I feel like we've, we've talked business like this entire time, like (laughs) <laughs> besides like doing therapy things like what's what's the rest of your life like what do you enjoy um what's your community like all that stuff. I'm just curious about you yeah um you know I've become a lot more involved with my local queer community um I I've got um a house in a really cool part of Knoxville Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a nice big backyard and there's a fire pit. And so my, uh, Lauren, my wife and I were like, we should just have a bunch of people over probably like eight to 10 people here. And they got here and I just had this moment like, Oh my God, everyone here is queer. <laughs> and it, wasn't, it wasn't planned. It just kind of happened. Which is um, always the best way for queer things to happen. It's just like, yes. Also, same yes. for like you and me. Queer didn't plan for it to happen that way. LOL. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so we like. I just like to be around people. Um, I really enjoy that. And aside from that, um, hiking. I'm 45 minutes from trails in the Smoky Mountains. Mm. Um, And so that is lovely. That makes, sometimes I'll go and like download podcasts or an audio book and just hike. Um, And so I really, I love that. Um, I am a little too obsessed about my dog. Um, (laughs) Before I started this job, I was scrolling through my Instagram and it was mostly my dog Burton. and I was like, I don't know if this is a problem or not. I chose to believe that it was not a problem. Yeah, not a problem. Um, Instagram is whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hanging out with my dog is really great. Like I mentioned, like kayaking um, is is just really nice. But we've been really lucky because Knoxville has a booming, like, beer scene right now yo Um, and so i have become a beer snob unfortunately oh yeah i Uh, think it's fortunate (laughs) like i was a beer snob before like went out before i joined my fraternity and so just like we go to Uh these frat parties they'd have like a keg of natty light and i'm just like no she's gonna bring her own beer and y'all can drink whatever Uh that piss is over there exactly it's like 
watery garbage that you're paying for. Um, and so there's, uh, there's this really cool place I'll plug for Knoxville, um, called Crafty Bastard. Mm. Um, and they create the weirdest beers. <gasps> I um, love a weird beer. Yes. So they have like a, like a pineapple IPA that is on nitro. Like if a beer in a a pina colada had a baby, that's what this beer is. Please and thank Uh, you. I'll be there soon. Oh, you, I have a spare bedroom. Uh, Yes. And and I have a fraternity brother in Nashville. I've been meaning to visit. So sounds like not Nashville, Knoxville, excuse me. See, it's perfect. Um, yeah, usually when if I have somebody who drinks beer come to Knoxville, I would like to take them to all the breweries. Yes. Um, there are like six or seven local breweries that are phenomenal. Um, yeah, so beer drinking has become a, a big part of my life. I don't know what to do with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Lean into it. All right. Yeah, well, that's what I'm doing. So, <laughs> um yeah, so that's like my my summer life. Um, in the winter, I teach snowboarding. Um, oh, dope! Yes, so it is lovely. Um, there is, some, it's just that is my healing space in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, snowboarding in this part of the southeast is not great, mm-hmm. um, but it's not awful i can still take my board out and go ride so um that has been all of these little like life-giving things that i've made a part of my like life pattern that Mm -hmm. i really enjoy um yeah so i think that at this point i feel like i'm nesting in knoxville Mm -hmm. um and just like loving my city and meeting new people um and it, it just feels very special that I can walk into most of these breweries and get a, hey, Cass and Lauren, how are you guys? <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I really appreciate that, which is which is interesting for us to navigate because we honeymooned in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we have a little bit of a, an itch to move. Oh, that's yeah. what, that's what people tell me. Like, just like, I mean, I, I've been out to Seattle uh, a couple times and it's such a dope city and that the whole like yeah. Port, Portland, Seattle, that whole land is just gorgeous and beautiful. And yes, yes. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing that we're having to work through right now. Do we want to stay in Knoxville? Mm-hmm. Um, so Lauren can start a local LGBT practice here. And we've toyed with the idea of starting like an LGBT pride center, like community center. Cause we don't have one of those. Oh shoot. That'd be uh, awesome. Yeah. So especially for a city like Knoxville, like it's big enough and definitely needs yes, one. Yes. Um, and so I think that that would be something that we could do really well, but also, you know, we deal with the stress of if I'm holding her hand walking downtown almost every time we go out there will be at least one weird look or some parent who pulls their kid a little closer so they don't catch the gay i guess yeah um i mean if i saw you walking down the street i would just go to the other side so i didn't catch the gay you know what i'm saying exactly (laughs) you have to make sure you stay safe (laughs) Uh, yeah so that's exhausting that's Mm -hmm. exhausting um but we've been very intentional to learn what spaces are queer friendly and just go there. 
Yeah. That's the same thing in Atlanta too. It's like, even though it's like a very queer friendly city, there's like certain areas of town where like, I'm mindful of what I'm wearing. If I'm going to a certain part of town, I'm mindful of like, uh, how visible I am being, um, in what part of town I am. So it's, um, I hate that too. I hate that. Like we have to police ourselves in order to stay safe. Yeah. Like, granted, I'm glad I'm staying safe because, like, Lord knows, like, I go to, like, it, I could easily get my ass kicked any day of the week because, like, I have my nails painted. Mm. Um, but it, it's, I just hate that. So that's a, that's a, that's like one thing that kind of uh, draws me to, like certain cities like New York or uh, New York or LA or Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's and that that was the draw to we we stayed in Bellingham Washington um and I remember the moment like she and I were hiking um and we passed this couple probably in their like late 60s early 70s mm-hmm. um and it was and they like smiled at us and that was such a weird experience for me <laughs> oh. um to be like smiled at or to not have the waiter awkwardly ask, like, is it is it one check or or, or two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, yeah, there there was something uh, like it was like a reprieve from this trying to create safer spaces in Knoxville. Yeah, um, being queer yeah. in the South, man, it's a thing. Yeah, it is. It is a thing, and I think there's this this pool of, do we want to stay? And cause I think we have a voice in Knoxville. Um, and I think there's something really special for, uh, Lauren and I to know that like people come to us when they have questions. Um, like, like I mentioned, like religious leaders or friends and people will be like, Hey, I've got a friend who needs something. Can we send them to you guys? And that feels really important to us. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes we just get really tired, Kevin. Oh, yeah, I get it. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a question. And there's not there's not a right or a wrong answer. I think like yeah. whenever we're selecting a space to live in, like that's the question we do have to answer for ourselves is like, what is mine to do and what is going to bring me life in the long run? Because mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people, especially like queer Christians, like we like, or maybe it's anybody. We want to stick with what's familiar. We want to stick mm-hmm. with the things that we've always known. And so if you are a queer person who grew up in the evangelical South, like a lot of us, like I know people who stick around in non-affirming churches because it's just like, that's the only space they know that they can go, even though uh-huh. like it's not affirming, like, you know, at least it's a church for them. Um, yeah. Or they want to stick around in like toxic family situations or cities that, don't serve them. And then on top of that, there's also the issue of like access. Like, do you have the resources to move? Do -hmm. you have the, uh, yeah, it's, there's so many layers to it. And, but I think that if one has the means, if one has the option of going to a different space, like if it's going to serve you in the long run, like that's, that's really what it comes down to is like, is staying here going to give me life or is this going to eventually burn me out to the point where I am just over everything? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question for us. Um, so, and, and I'm not, I don't, I don't stress about it. I think I just, I hold more curiosity than anything. Um, that's good. 
You let me know if you are going to move so I can come see you before that and drink all those delicious beers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. That was my conversation with Cassie McCarty-Green. You can connect with Cassie across social media on Twitter at McCarty underscore Green and on Instagram Cassie underscore McGreeny. And you can learn more about her work and how to take advantage of her services at thechristiancloset.com. Cassie, thanks so much for being on the show. I had a blast. I think you're beautiful, wonderful. And next time I'm in Knoxville, let's grab some beer, okay? Deal. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 119 people on Patreon. If you didn't already know, Patreon is an amazing crowdsourcing platform that lets you support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters. So if this podcast was good for you, if you like the videos or blogs that I've created, and you want to see more queer Christian content being put out there, then become a part of the work. Go to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and learn how you can be supporting partners and take advantage of some of the perks. I do coaching calls with people. There's free t-shirts as a Slack channel. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful things, and so I think that you are going to enjoy it. So again, go to patreon.com slash Garcia and become a sustaining partner today. Anything helps. $1, $2, you know, if you got $25 a month, throw it at me. Listen, I'm out here in these streets making this stuff, and I would love to be able to pay my bills with more ease. All right. So yeah, again, patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia is the last time I'll say it. Go do it. And I promise you, you'll feel better afterwards. I swear. Connect with me across social media at the Kevin Garcia. Be sure to go over to thekevingarcia.com and subscribe to my newsletter. That way you never miss a podcast, a blog, or a video that goes up. It just a newsletter goes out once a week telling you what's going on, telling you the new things I've created. And it's, uh, it's easy and it's fun and light and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Go over there, get signed up for my mailing list. It is everything, Hanny, everything. Another great way to support the show is by leaving a rating, and you can do that right on your iPhone, Android, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to your podcast. Go ahead and just leave a little five-star review, tell people about it, and then go ahead and share it on social media. That way, we can get this podcast in the ears of more people who need to hear a good word about their lives. Go do that. Even if you ain't going to throw some cash at me, you can at least do this, honey. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy, honey. Step your game up. Um, last thing before I let you go, I am booking speaking engagements for the rest of the fall and early 2019. So if you've got an event coming up at your school, your church, your community event, your pride event that's happening in the fall, and you need a speaker for that, go ahead and hit me up. I've got a new speaking packet ready to go that I would love to send to you so that we can create a beautiful and fantastic event together. Talking everything about faith, sexuality, gender, justice, all those things, as well as some workshops pertaining to sex positivity that I am starting to roll out. Out. Sex positivity, consent, um, sex education that they didn't teach you in school, um, all those sorts of things. It's going to be a really, really fun time. So I hope that you'll take advantage of me. Not like that, though, because that's a little weird. I'm going to stop making it weirder than it already is. But if you want to book me for anything in the fall or early 2019 let's go ahead and get that rolling honey you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash speaking to make contact with me and i'll send you an email with my speaking packet thanks so much i love you so very very much take your meds go see your therapist go on a walk outside eat a piece of pizza because it's yummy not necessarily because it's healthy but you know it's good for the soul 
Um, call your friends who love you. Reach out if you're having a bad day. And I'll see you on the internet somewhere. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk at you later. Bye. Bye.